Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that your mercy and your grace are new every morning. We thank you for gathering us together here this afternoon. And we pray, Lord, that even post-lunch, that uh, we, we, we pray against the post-lunch uh, coma or comatose or whatever that is, the sleepiness that comes on. And Lord, we just want to pray that this will be an enriching time, an encouraging time. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will fill this place with your power and your presence. We ask, Jesus, that you give us your imagination for what it would look like for the churches that we're a part of to be about the work of church planting. We ask, Jesus, that all things will be done for the glory of your name and for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you should have, again, three things. The churches that want to plant churches, and then also the church plant resident playbook, and then thirdly, the church plant apprenticeship playbook. So three things. Uh, and before I get into the first couple questions, I just want to do an introduction. My name is Billy Waters, uh, planted Wellspring Inglewood in 2001, and we had about 15 or so people, and we were planting from Christ Episcopal Church, although at the time, um, some would say it was a, a favorable plant, others would say it wasn't so favorable. Uh, some didn't want to plant churches, others did want to plant churches, but we, sent, we were sent off in uh, Resurrection Sunday, 2001, and then about nine or ten years later, we planted our first church, or the next church, which was Advent in the Baker neighborhood, if anybody's familiar with Denver. Yeah, and Ken was a part of that. You were part of the Blood, Sweat, and Tears team. Yeah. <laughs> they were all three. And he, here's, here's one. Um, if you do a launch team, don't call it the Blood, Sweat, and Tears team. <laughs> call it like um, joy, peace, and happiness or something. But Blood, Sweat, and Tears just communicates, I don't know, a little bit of negative. But it, it's true. It is. There, it's a lot of blood, and there's a lot of sweat, and there's a lot of tears. Uh, and then in 2015, we planted our next church, which was Wellspring Littleton, sent off with Advent. We set up about 50 people using the incubating model. And then uh, in 2015, we sent off 120 people with uh, Tim Suits. And Wellspring Littleton's probably just a few miles away from where we're at, Wellspring Inglewood. And then just recently, in fact, three weeks ago, we sent off our next church plant, which was Rizo Community Church in the Ruby Hill neighborhood. Again, if anybody's familiar with Denver, it's basically a little bit further southwest of downtown. Uh, and we had the joy of sending those guys out, and it was, it was a joy. Each one of those three models was radically different. Uh, but I tell you what, with each one of those, there was just a lot of joy. Uh, there was a lot of just a sense of what God was doing. And so uh, it, was, it was a thrill to be a part of that. So that's a little bit about myself. I have uh, my wife's name is Jana, six kids from five all the way up through 20. The 20-year-old is serving at the United States Air Force Academy. So he's in his second year uh, trying to figure out how to survive. Uh, so that's a little bit about myself. Um, if you turn to the packet, in light of the welcome and introduction, I just want to begin by asking the question to you guys, why are you here? Why do you want to be in this place? What was, what was it about churches that plant churches that was intriguing to you? Say more. Yeah. Yes. 
Okay. Okay, anybody else? Why are you here? Because you're an intern and you have to be here? You get to be here, Ryan. Ryan's our connecting pastor at Wellspring Inglewood, and Joanna's here, uh, came from D.C. Yeah, now they're at Wellspring Inglewood, and she is in the ordination track, so that's exciting. Yeah. Okay. So moving from vision into the practicalness of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? That's really helpful. And as we go through this, we're going to look at three big hooks to hang all this content on. And the last one will probably be the most, well, it is the most practical. Yeah. Anybody else? Why are you here? Because the bishop's here and you want to be around Ken? That's, is that what it is? Yeah. Joanna. So why, why plant churches when you, you can just pour more resources onto the existing church and build it up? Or if the existing church is struggling a little bit, uh, what would be the impetus for planting a church? It seems like the more the focus needs to be towards building up and su- supporting and encouraging. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, why? church CP is just going to be church plant. Um, In mother church. And when I say mother church, I mean the church that is going to be doing the sinning. So you have a mother and a daughter. Anybody else? Why are you here? Let me ask you this. What do you want to know? Frame, frame it in a different way. What do you want to know from our time? Why? How? Next steps? Great. Yes. Even though the third section is going to be more practical, uh, the first two are absolutely essential. So next steps, if you're, if you're square run, one and you're, and you're just like beginning this journey, you have to go through step one. In order to get to step two, you have to go through step one. In order to get to step three, you have to go through one and two. So, yeah. What do you want to know coming out of our time? Let's have two more. Kevin. It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. <laughs> Why are you here, Kevin? You're asking, okay, so I gotta yeah, you got to answer. Yeah. You're back. <laughs> just, just when we thought we sent you out, got rid of you. You're coming back. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Good. 
One more. What do you guys want to get out of this? Okay. Yeah. So knowing how to do that or just affirmation to doing that? Yeah. 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 With the replant in Phoenix. Yes. Okay. So what does it look like? When you say pioneer, do you mean like, like a parachute, like you going into Tucson by yourself and planting a church in Tucson? Yeah. Now, here's, here's a, a more difficult question, but I think a really important one, because this isn't just one person spouting out information and just getting through the packet. And by the way, if we get through the packet, praise Jesus. Um, I'm going to do my best to get through the packet. And for some of you maybe who are a J on the Myers-Briggs, you really want to make sure that all of your lines are filled in with something. And so what we may do at the end is if we have 10 minutes and we have like an entire section left, I'm just going to start giving you the answers. Okay? So if you look at this, we only have like 10 minutes left and we haven't gone through half of it, rest assured all of your lines will be filled in by the time we get to 4 o'clock. And we also will take a break. All right. Now where was I going? Okay, yeah, what, what is your, here's the qu- next question. What do you have to add to this time? It's, this isn't just one person you know, speaking out, but it's, it's all of us collectively learning from each other. What do you have to add in regards to church planting? Maybe you've been experienced, maybe you've read a book. Uh, what do you have to add to the, uh, to the conversation? <laughs> Ken, thank you. Yes, helpful. In fact, I would say critical. Yes. Experience, planting, having planted, and diocesan perspective. Great. 
And we need that because a diocesan perspective is very different than a local church's perspective. How does a diocese plant a church or support plant a church? How does a local congregation? What are the roles? Because if we get those two things confused, it can be, it can be confusing. If the, di- if the diocese is doing something that uniquely only the local congregation can do, what does that look like? And what is the responsibility of a local congregation that the diocese can come alongside and support? I mean, what, what do those two things look like? So diocesan perspective is absolutely critical. Other contributions? Yeah. Tenacity. Great. So you're going to be the one that's the only, maybe the only one awake during the end of this thing because you, because you guys have tenacity. You're right. Anybody else? What do you have to contribute? Yeah. When you say mission, maybe like under 50 or, yeah. and then really moving from under 50 into. Well, not necessarily. Uh, it was a mission that, that it, it grew into not, not just college students. And then they recognized that and said, okay, God, God has made us a church, not just a mission of, of Holy Trinity. So when they, you know, launched as a church as their own self-sustaining entity, uh, we, my, my wife and I joined uh, a week later. So it was a different, like, here's a church. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, this thing work, and having that um, walk, walking, walking through that um, as a parishioner, which is. Which is a unique perspective, parish, in, er, <laughs> I don't know, something like that. Yeah. There was one other, yeah. Um, I've had experience outside of the Anglican Church, um, in the evangelical world, and the good, bad, and the ugly of that. Yes. I would love to hear more, even as we're going along here, to hear how what your experience was in different denominations compared to what we're trying to do within the Anglican Church in North America, specifically the Rocky Mountain Diocese. Yeah, great. Experience in other denominations. Okay. Yes. Yes, lack of momentum. Yeah. yeah, okay, good. Well, that's going to be the that's going to be a great segue because that's what we're going to be talking about right now. Uh, so our time is going to be organized under three major hooks. And these three major hooks are 
really coming from a place all about momentum. If you want to create momentum in anything in, your, in church, or if you want to create momentum in anything, in, like a program within your church, there are three key things that you need. And if you have these things, if you have these three things, and to the extent that you have these three things, you will create momentum for a program or for a ministry or for a church plant. And I'm going to give you the answers to this entire thing up front. Okay? So this is going to be a deductive presentation. You're going to know everything on the front end. So um, the way you get momentum... And I'm going to specifically talk about a ministry, and I'm going to make the correlation to a church plant. Vision, leader, program. These three things are absolutely essential in order to create momentum. To the extent that you have a compelling vision, something where you're saying we're going to be moving from point A to point B, and you have a leader that inculcates that vision, and you have a program or a system that executes so that the vision isn't just a dream, but the vision actually becomes a reality, this is how you get momentum. And it always goes this way. And it starts here. Why do we start with vision before a leader. Because it can live past the leader. Exactly. There's other reasons as well. Because you'll have... What's that? It right yes. It will help shape and, and inform the kind of... The profile of the person that you're looking for. Yeah. In fact, in the, in the church planting assessment, one of the components is the risk factor. And with the risk factor, it really helps to determine the demographic of the, lo the location where the planter is going into and the person themselves. So if, if somebody is used to an urban context and they're going into you know, the middle of L.A., it makes all the sense in the world. However, you have, have somebody who grew up in a very um, I don't know, rural setting and they want to plant in downtown New York, that's going to be very difficult. It's going to require a particular kind of skill set for somebody the more that you cross those geographical cultural barriers, okay? So, so vision, you, we, we, begin, we begin with vision. The other thing is, is that it's very tempting, especially when a leader comes along who is, you know, who, who may be compelling in certain ways. It's great to have our Hawaii contingent here. You guys came all the way from Hawaii, yeah? Uh, it's... Um, it's very easy when somebody comes along for us then to focus on the person instead of the vision. The people support the vision, and then you move from vision into leader. And one of the most important characteristics of a leader, and we're going to get to this, is a leader who inculcates the vision. Super important. And then it moves to program. And now for our purposes here, what we're saying is, is that program, we're going to be looking at specifically the pre-launch phase. What does that look like? So that's the, those are the three hooks that we're going to be hanging everything off of uh, today. So vision, leader, pre-launch phase. That's the how. How do we do this as a church, wanting to plant a church? Um, and as we go through this time, our goal, it's right here on that first page, and I want to read it out because I wrote it, and I want to get as much economy out of it as possible. <laughs> We're going to go through this bit by bit. The goal of it for this workshop is to provide encouragement and practical next steps to local congregations for planting churches out of their parochial context. My desire is for you to envision a church planting movement in your community for the glory of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. And I'll just say this. This is going to come up a little bit later. But according to the North American Mission Board, the success of church plants 
goes up 250% when there's some connection of the church plant to a sending or a mother church. If you're in that kind of a context, and, it could be, and you could have the support of finances, you could have the support of leaders that are being sent, you could have the support of a cohort, you could have the support of a coach, but the statistic holds true that when you're sent from a church, this, the statistics of success go up 250%. And that's why we, we believe so firmly and deeply that churches that plant churches is by far the best model for church planting. Okay? So that's why this, this topic is so significant. All right, step one. If you go on to the next sheet, we're going to be looking at vision. Question, is vision biblical? <laughs> yes. Why? Think, of, think about like stories in the Bible. Where do we see vision being communicated biblically? Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. He was able to mobilize people under incredible opposition. And it was through the power of vision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other aspects, yeah, or other examples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, vision's compelling. Yeah. The other thing, the other, is, is you started talking, I, I thought about the, uh, the whole idea of vision for the purpose of formation, spiritual formation. Um, in 1 John 3, I, I was reading this this morning in my quiet time, uh, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So he's talking about identity, who we are. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I mean, that's a powerful motivation for spiritual formation. Like, as we look at Christ, that's what we will become, Christ our brother, God our Father, Christ our brother, all who live and love art thine. Uh, made like him, like him we rise. We will be made like Christ. Uh, so he's our vision. We know that because he's our vision, um, that's what our future is. Yeah, so vision is all over. What are some of the reasons why leaders tend to resist vision? Yeah. Some don't have one. Okay. So how do you cast something that you don't have? Yeah. 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 Every every gift has a shadow side, 
And the temptation within vision is to actually maintain control of something. And, and then it becomes idolatry the other way. And to not have one could be idolatry, but to also have one could be idolatry. I think the other thing is that it could be associated in some ways with marketing, with business. And so business casts vision. That's not what the church does. The church does this over here. The businesses do vision. The businesses do mission and values and defining objectives and rallying cries and all that stuff. Yeah. Nathaniel. <laughs> Whether that previously cast vision has been cast or not, it could be implicit within the congregation. We, have, we don't have a vision for our church, but what their vision is is we want to stay the same. And they're living into that vision. And so when somebody comes along and casts a vision, already they're creating tension because in order to achieve that vision, change is absolutely necessary. And we hate change. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, these are some of the reasons why we uh, resist vision. Why is vision important? Vision, here's your first little fill-in-blank. Vision is compelling and therefore excites and unifies the people. Vision is compelling and therefore excites and unifies the people. There's, and, and also, it's an, I think important to keep in mind that vision comes from a place of love. Um, the reason why we're moving in this direction is love, love for the Lord, love for others. Because ultimately, the desires of our heart will determine the direction that we go. Jamie Smith talks a lot about this. The desires of our heart will determine the direction that we go. And when our vision is to have a particular kind of life, that is going to compel us to move out into areas, move out into regions that we would not do previously. Going back to, I think it was what you said, Ken, um, I just lost it. Anyways, there, there's, there, there's an illustration. A number of years ago, we were on our uh, first sabbatical, and we went to um, Honduras. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, um, had a desire uh, to see a sea turtle. So we, we were snorkeling out in this uh, island called Roatan, and her one desire on that trip was to see a sea turtle. But the way it was, you had two reefs. You had the shallow reef, and you could see a lot of different kinds of fish, but you'd never see the sea turtles. And then it would kind of drop off to about 40 or 50 feet, and then it would come back up, and you'd have another reef. And, but the sea turtles were out in the bigger reef, or, and then after the second reef, there was this drop-off. It would just go you know, down. You couldn't even see the bottom. And then when you were out there, the only thing I could think about was um, I'm bait, <laughs> just floating out here <laughs> waiting for a shark. Um, but it was in that second reef where all the sea turtles were. Uh, Annie always stayed in the first reef. She wouldn't go out to the second reef. And there, there came a point, it was toward the end of our time in Honduras. I looked out, we, we were trying to find Annie. Where is she? Where is she? We look out, I think, I think that's her. And she keeps going further and further out, past the first reef, past the first drop-off, and towards the second reef. I'm thinking, what is going on here? Why is she doing that? So I go out to snorkel. I went to snorkel out to, to, to bring her back. Well, first to see if that was her, and then to bring her back. And to my amazement, the reason why she was able to overcome her fears, the reason why she was going into areas that she thought were impossible before is because what she had found was a sea turtle. And she was following the sea turtle out past the second reef into the ocean. And she wasn't looking at anything else except the desires of her heart, which was to see the sea turtle. She didn't recognize where she was. Uh, and then I called her back, and then she found out where she was, and then we, we came. But the, here's the point, and that is, is that vision has a power to compel us into places that we did not think previously was possible. Vision is incredibly powerful and compelling, and it has the ability to excite and unify the people. Uh, we, uh, 
during the Advent campaign, we'll usually do some kind of a campaign. Uh, and this past one, we were um, going to raise money for uh, the next church plant, Rizo. And our goal was $20,000, and Joanna and Ryan can testify to this. So we put out to the congregation, we want to raise $20,000, that in addition to the money that Wellspring Network was going to send off with Brent, we also wanted to raise an additional $20,000 from Wellspring Inglewood and another $20,000 from Wellspring Littleton. So in addition to all the network monies, we were also going to send him out with $40,000. And to our amazement, after 10 days of the campaign, we'd only been in the campaign 10 days, and uh, we had already raised $20,000. Now, we didn't tell the, the church. <laughs> we just said, our goal is 20000 Our goal is 20000 And it was shocking because at the end of Advent, the church had raised $68,000. And all of the above funds, the 48000 are going to be going to the next church plant. And what we found is, is that people were not just giving and saying, oh, here's another you know, check, here's another check. They were excited to give because they were so moved by the vision. It was exciting. In fact, when we said we had raised $68,000, people didn't, you know, boo or hiss. They shouted. They clapped because it was just so exciting to be a part of something so much bigger than just us. So vision is compelling. Let's keep moving. Uh, Vision is the motivation to push past the pain. I think mothers in childbirth experience this. The vision is the motivation, the vision of having a baby and being able to hold the one that's been in their womb for nine months. It gives them the ability to push past the pain. You also had this with Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus had a vision to redeem us, to save us, to restore us. Um, And so it allowed him to push past the pain for the joy set before him. What book in the Bible, now thinking about this, think about vision is the motivation to push past the pain. What book in the Bible has the most occurrences of vision? Revelation. Who said that? Yes. I mean, it's even in the name. Revelation. Why do you think that is? Yes. And what's it, Revelation 21 and 22? New heavens, new earth. Scripture is casting for us a vision yeah, I mean, you have the four chapters of Scripture where you have you know, creation, fall, redemption, and the final restoration of all things. And everything is rushing towards that. And the vision that we have is Revelation 21 and 22. And what allows us to be able to push past the pain and what allows the early church to push past the pain was vision. Uh, next, uh, vision allows us to focus. Vision allows us to focus. Um, Nehemiah... Chapter, uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 4. What do I have? Three, yeah. I love this this passage uh, in Nehemiah where there's opposition in building the wall. And this is what Nehemiah says. And this is from two uh, antagonists. Tobias and Sambalot, and they're resisting Nehemiah, and they're asking Nehemiah to come uh, to, to have a meeting with him off-site, and this is what Nehemiah says. So I sent messengers to them with this reply, I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? I'm carrying on a great project, and I can't go down. The vision was so compelling for Nehemiah, he said, I can't 
This thing is so compelling for me. I'm caught up in a great work, and I can't come down. And I would ask us as, as church leaders or people within our congregation, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your church that when other things come your way, when other suggestions or other opinions are coming at you, do you have a, a sense like Nehemiah did that I'm about a great work and I can't come down? And there's going to be opportunities for distractions for church planting. Uh, and there's a number of them. Um, and the motivation for us is that there are good things out there, but I'm involved in a great work here, and I can't come down to stay focused. Next, uh, vision allows us to see when times go dark. Vision allows us to see when times go dark. Sometimes you go through life where vision is all you got. And uh, this is maybe to talk a little bit about Joanna's point. Um, there was a time in Wellspring's uh, life, and Ken knows this, this stage intimately, uh, but um, there was a time where Wellspring had gone through an incredibly difficult season, and I was really contemplating getting out of ministry altogether. Uh, it was super painful. I wanted to get out. And um, uh, I'm not going to go into detail, but during that same year, we were scheduled to plant Wellspring Littleton. And Tim came up to me, and he said, do you want us to push pause on this church plant? And I said, no, you're the only light on in this place. <laughs> We're not going to let Satan rob us of planting this church. And at that point, I thought we were going to be planting Wellspring Littleton to the detriment of Wellspring Inglewood. I thought in planting them, we were probably running the risk of dying as a local church. And to my amazement, what I found is, is that in planting Wellspring Littleton, what it allowed us to do is for people to get their eyes off of all the different little things that were going on and get our eyes onto the great kingdom work that God was doing through the work of planting church. That even in the midst of that dark time, what the congregation, I think, saw was is that no matter what happens through ministry, we're not going to let the circumstances change or rob us of the vision that we feel like God has given us. So we got to start with vision. We got to start with vision because there are times when vision is all you got. That's all you got. You don't have um, the applause of others. You don't have sometimes the respect of others. You don't have the circumstances or the situations that make you feel like a great leader. But you got a vision that God has called you to. And we stay to it. We stay true to it. Uh, next little line, it creates tension. Here's the power of vision. It creates attention. And this is why vision is so powerful. It creates attention. Because what we say is this, and we alluded to this earlier on, but immediately when we say we're going to be going from point A to point B, what we're saying is, is that point A isn't what God's best is for us. That God is inviting us into something. And immediately when we say we're going to a direction or in a place that we are not right now currently, that immediately creates tension. And people that want to settle are going to oftentimes resist that vision. But that's where the power is. And I'll also say this. Maybe it's going to be coming up in how. Yeah, I'm going to save it for a little bit later. Um, I want to mention about in terms of how to cast vision. Uh, next page. Vision also cultivates a culture of risk-taking and generosity. It cultivates a culture of risk-taking and generosity. Risk-taking and generosity. Um, can anybody think of examples in your own ministry where this has been the case? Where a vision that you were compelled by 
motivated you to step out into arenas or areas that you wouldn't have previously? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. So it caused you to step out and do something that you wouldn't have done normally. Move away from family, move away from what was known, comfortable. You're going out. You're going out. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, speaking about going out, one of the things we, we communicate when we, when we plant a church is that we say, and this is what we learned from planting Advent, is that, you might be familiar with this language, Ken, but that no one's staying. We initially started out by casting the vision by saying, you're either sent to Advent or you're, or you're called to stay here. And people were saying, well, I don't want to stay here. Like, I want to be sent too. So we changed the language after the first plant to say, you're either sent to Ruby or to um, Baker neighborhood, or you're sent to Inglewood. But the reality is, is no one's staying. We are all sent because we're a people that are sent. Yeah. All right. What is vision? This vision is a picture of the preferred future. A quote from Aristotle, the soul never thinks without a picture. We need a picture to motivate us. Vision comes from our ecclesiology. It has to be rooted in ecclesiology. And kind of going back to Ryan's point, we have to understand that if we're going to get a definition of the church, if we're going to understand why the church, we have to look, um, or why church plant, or what is church planting, we have to look at why the church and what is the orientation of the church. That we are called as a people of God, and our orientation is out. It's always out. Abraham was called in. He was called in to be a part of the promises of God. But as soon as he was called in, then he was called out. And that's a trajectory all throughout Scripture because you had the same thing with Moses. Moses, burning bush, I call you in. Now what? Go to Pharaoh. Isaiah, you're called in. Uh, I'm calling you in. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to restore you. Now go out. I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you a message that's going to be an utter failure. <laughs> I'm still sending you out anyways. Sending out. Isaiah, Peter. Peter gets called in. And then immediately after he gets called in, what does he do? He gets sent out. You're going to be a fisher of people. And Acts, they're called in at Pentecost, and they're projected out. They're scattered out to Jerusalem, Judea, and the outer parts of the world. So our orientation as a church is out. And so as, a, as, as we face out, as our orientation is out, we have a vision for what God has invited us into. Now, the components of vision are this. Um, some of these I got from, I think... Two of them I got from Andy Stanley. One I got from Marshall Shelley, and the other two just some personal experience. The first one is uh, I think Andy. I think this is original with Andy Stanley. He says the components of the vision is it must be simple. It won't necessarily be comprehensive. In fact, the more try to, comprehensive that you try to make it, oftentimes the least compelling it is, because it's less clear. If we try to be comprehensive uh, in terms of we want to make, I don't even have an example. You can't have a vision that's five paragraphs long because um, otherwise people won't remember anything. And I'll tell you this. When we, when we started down the road of identifying our own vision, what we found is, is that people won't remember 10 things. So initially we said we want to see disciples characterized by worship, formation, mission, education, 
community, humility. I mean, we had like a list of about seven or eight things. And what we found is, is that people won't remember 10 things. People won't die for 10 things. However, they will remember three. We need, I think Einstein said, we need to make it simple, but not simpler. Or is that right? Simplistic. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read much Einstein lately, but I think that, yeah. Yeah. So simple. Simple's key. It solves a problem. If people don't see the problem, they won't be motivated to live into the vision. And what Bill Hybels talks about, and when, you're, when, we're, when we're casting vision, it's not only trying to communicate the direction that we're going, because this is pretty compelling. When we say this is our preferred future, that's extremely motivating. But what's oftentimes even more motivating is recognizing why we can't stay here. Why settling for this location right here is not an option. We can't stay here, and we have to go there. One of the statistics of Inglewood is that within our local high school, Inglewood High School, the homeless rate with the kids at the high school is 17%. Now, when we mentioned that, the board, some of our leaders, some of our key leaders of the church saying, we can't not do something about it. We have to do something about this. 17% homeless rate within our local high school. And yet here we are as a church two miles away. We can't stay here. We have to figure out something, some way to reach these kids. Yes, for Christ. Yes, to provide, uh, to, to minister in word. But we can't stay here. We have to move out and we have to respond faithfully to that. I'll tell you what, when you mention something like that, there's something within our own hearts that say, we got to move. We got to do something about it. So vision always solves a problem. Thirdly, it's regularly communicated. It's regularly communicated. By and large, why is this oftentimes overlooked from leadership? <laughs> right. They're always thinking about it. And they think the people that they're serving are always thinking about it. But you know what? They're not. They're not thinking about it. So oftentimes we think, and, and so I'll, I'll, I'll say this, that uh, two years ago, we had a, a goal of raising a certain amount of money for Rwanda and the, um, uh, what's the thing in, Sh or not Shogwe, um, in Kigali, the, the plot of land, build up the business. What's that? The Walk with Rwanda. The Walk with Rwanda, Yes. So we, we, we tried to raise money. Actually, three years ago, we raised money for it. We communicated the vision. We communicated the problem. And we raised money for it during the Advent campaign. The next year's Advent campaign, we circled back to it. But the problem was is that we didn't faithfully communicate it regularly throughout the year. And so when we returned to the campaign 12 months later, people are thinking, I've completely forgotten about this. And what happened to the money that I gave 12 months ago? And we raised $20,000 less year two than we did year one. What was the problem? We didn't communicate it regularly. And that was on us. Um, fourth, it has to be personally embraced. By the leader, it has to be personally embraced. I was talking to um, Marshall Shelley, who used to be uh, the, the ex executive editor of Leadership Journal, and now he's over at Denver Seminary. And he's interviewed all kinds of leaders, anywhere from um, 
Who's the guy, uh, Prairie Home Companion? Garrison Keeler. Interview Garrison Keeler, Bill Hybels, some of the biggest, most significant business leaders in the country. And I asked him at lunch, I said, so you've interviewed all thousands of leaders. What is the one characteristic, what is the one attribute of a leader that is most compelling to you? And what do you think kind of rises to the surface in regards to the, a leader's ability to influence? And he said, a vision has to be personally embraced. Has to be. All of the leaders that he's interviewed, they could be in, extreme introverts, extreme extroverts. Uh, love people, not love being around a lot of people. Uh, really intelligent, not very intelligent. Super passionate, not very passionate. There's one characteristic or attribute of a leader that is so compelling, and that's somebody who has personally embraced the vision. Lastly, corporately celebrated. Corporately celebrated. And this goes back to the point of regularly communicated, but it's super important that after something has been done, it has to be corporately celebrated. And I used to, um, I had a mentor, and he would say this, that power's always on the backside. It's always on the backside. We could stand up on the pulpit, communicate vision, and say, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going, and this is why. And we can speak until we're blue in the face about vision. But it's not until the vision begins to become a reality and we celebrate the vision that the true power of the vision comes into play. That power is always on the backside. Uh, I think I'm gonna, I was going to mention this earlier or later, but um, there have been th- three of the most probably significant worship uh, services at Wellspring. It was in 2000. 10, 2011, 2011, 2015, and just a few weeks ago in 2017. When we commissioned those three churches and we prayed for them, and then during the recessional, we sent them off, and there was a standing ovation on each one of those situations. And people were thrilled about being a part of planting a church. There was so much excitement. Standing ovation, I mean, they're already standing, but while they were standing, they're clapping. It's a standing ovation. But it was so compelling, so exciting. Why? Because we were celebrating the vision. So it's corporately celebrated. Any thoughts on these five things? Yeah. We're going to come to that. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It, uh, let me see here. I thought. I thought it was in this section. That's in the house section. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely fits in. We need. Yes, but not too soon. My suggestion would be to allow the thing to bake as long as possible. And then when the because t- timing is important and timing is right. Um, but to know when the right time is, I think, requires patience. There, is, there will be a time where, and there's always a sense of urgency, not freneticism, but there is always a sense of urgency in the vision, in the leader, and in the execution. Always urgency, because the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, but timing is absolutely critical. And I would say that one of two things happen in regards to vision and urgency. Oftentimes, people get excited. How many, how many pastors do we have here? Okay. 
How many times have somebody come into your office and say, I got a vision. I have a passion for doing something. And you ask the question, how long have you been thinking about this? I got it in my quiet time this morning. So what do you say? Come back in six months. Come back in 12 months. Because they get like a vision, they get like something that they're excited, a good idea, a really good idea, but it may not be a God idea. And they get excited about it and they come to you and they want to do something. They want to implement it right away. But the wise thing to do is to let it sit. And we're going to talk about why that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's interesting to say because I, I want us to look at now. This I I thought about this. I probably should not have put Wellspring's vision on here. I probably should have used something that's not tied into. Just so you know, please critique this. We're using this as an example. As you look at Wellspring's vision, um, does it meet some of these criteria or does it not meet some of these criteria? Because I think going to your point, um, this could be simpler. This could be shorter and more punchy. Um, yeah.